it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, everybody. Welcome. My name is Jason Walker. I am Trey Sanders. And we've got all the latest Utah Jazz talk for you, or at least as much as we can come up with, and assuming we don't go off on any extreme tangents. <laughs> and I'm sure it's unavoidable. Yeah. We'll do it <laughs> but we are two human beings, and I'm sure we both love to talk about sports and just about anything that comes to our mind, because we are guys. Yes. All right, so but... on the subject of the Utah Jazz and so again, trying to keep this topical, the Jazz have had a very, let's say, up and down uh, December, really up and down season. Mm, I mean, very much so. Actually, I'd probably just say an up and down 2017. I mean, since it's New Year's, we can mention just how crazy this season has been. We had the the playoff victory, then Gordon Hayward leaves, then Donovan Hayward Hayward. Well, he he leaves, and then it was unofficial, and then he made it official, and I, that was just a debacle of an of an announcement. Anyways, yeah. I it's it's funny. I actually made a I uh, I had a bet with a friend of mine. It was well before um, the season was ending. I can't remember when it was, but I just saw all of these trades going through and people uh, Boston getting rid of certain people. And um, I I can't remember what player it was that I saw. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, Gordon's going to Boston. I made it. A, I made a bet with him. I was like, "Okay, hundred bucks, Gordon Hayward leaves." He's like, "How could you say that?" Like, that's kind of in the details, but we ended up lowering it to a fifty-dollar bet, and then I won the bet. So, <laughs> yeah, like I think in, like, you know, I was kind of like the, I don't want to leave. I don't think he'll leave. Like, I'm trying to justify that he'll stay. He has every reason to stay. But in the back of my mind, I was like, if I right, Gordon Hayward. I'd be in Boston. Like, it sucks. Yeah. Like, the, the truth sucks. It hurts. Mm. But I think everybody, you know, if, if I were like you, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't have taken the bet. I would have been like, yeah, he probably is going to Boston. Right. And, but, you know, I, I, I myself, I was in denial. I, I, did, I never wanted it to come to fruition. But, uh, like I said, I just saw it and I was right. <laughs> it sucks. It hurts. But... On the other hand, we got a really, really awesome rookie. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's so. another thing. And, and when you get into the summer, it was it was going back up because you had Donovan Mitchell in summer league and in preseason, and in and back in summer league there was also Dante Exum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he well he even started looking good the playoffs. So I was getting really excited to see what he was going to do this year, and then boom, shoulders out. Yeah, he goes down, <clears> and the. The opening part of the season was pretty rough, and then, and then you know Rudy Gobert goes down, and then suddenly we were off the six-game win streak. Without Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell really goes off. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first like the, was the December first game I want to say, like first day of December against the Pelicans, goes off for 41 points, and that was just that was the moment where I was like, "Yep, this kid's legit." Like that. Yeah. Like before then, there were the signs, but that was the moment, and it was one of the few bright spots of a de- of December. But it was once well, again just that up and down. Well, absolutely, and I mean to build off of that, I mean 
after his 41-point game, he didn't, you know, he only did 21 the next night, 31 after that, 26, had a bad game against uh, Milwaukee, got 12, but then he followed it up as a 32, and then not so great for a little bit of a stretch. He had the George Hill injury, and then... Puts up 29 against OKC, we still lose, and then puts up 29 against uh, Cleveland. Which, uh, real quick, he blocked LeBron. He didn't foul. He didn't foul him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I remember that that specific play. Um, I watched a good chunk of it. I watched him block Dwayne Wade. Yeah, he did that too. I. It just is so nice to see. Like, okay, Gordon Hayward, like that departure hurts. But at the same time, you look at in comparison, Donovan Mitchell as a rookie is Gordon Hayward now, production-wise. Yeah, he's like in December he averaged like 20, 23 points a game, I want to say. I had the stats in front of me. Here they are. 23.1 points per game. He's shooting over 50% from the field, over 35%, almost 36% from three. That's stupid. That's stupid. Point eight steals per game. Yeah, it, it is really <laughs> crazy. It's, 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 it is kind of stupid. And you think, I trust Donovan Mitchell a lot more in the clutch now than I did Gordon Hayward. To me, I, yeah. mean, I know that Gordon Hayward had several clutch games and yes. clutch shots. I'm, I'm not, and I, I don't want to just hate on Gordon Hayward because most of my hate has been kind of locked in a drawer for now until he comes back from injury because I, I just kind of feel bad for him a little bit. Okay, yeah, I can respect that. Yeah, so I'll I'll start hating him once he's uh, not injured. I can't kick a man while he's down, but <laughs> when he gets back up, I'm gonna start throwing punches again. But, to be fair, though, he has been flaunting like all of the attention he's been getting oh, because yeah. of it. I, I won't respect him. I just won't hate him. Fair. No, that's fair. I'm just I'm just not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like obviously Gordon Hayward right now, or at least before the injury, is a better player objectively. But yeah, like Donovan Mitchell, he's scoring a lot. He's super clutch. He had 11 points in the fourth quarter uh, against the Cavaliers. So it was a big game against LeBron James. Came up clutch, um, and his scoring seems to have an impact. Gordon Hayward to me always felt like a quiet scorer. Well, not only was he quiet, but in the clutch, there was a lot of times that he disappeared. There was a lot of times that he would try to take control and he just wouldn't pull through. He wouldn't make the shot or he would make it, uh, you know, he would throw an errant pass. Um, he kind of, he always seemed to cave under the pressure, but then there was times when he was just locked in and he was able to get the win or, you know, power through it, whether we lost or not. So, and Donovan's already got that fire and that's just insane. I mean, the, he's 21, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's a 21-year-old basketball player who didn't even think he was going to enter the draft. Enters the draft because Chris Paul tells him to, and look at where he's at now. I mean, he's got the respect of everybody in the league. There were a few plays even last night where he was getting double-teamed because what do you do when someone's tearing you apart? You try to double-team him. You do everything you can to make it so that he can't produce or you try to get in his head. And he is all about just not any of that he just attacks he goes goes to the rim i mean he's just watching him getting better and better and better is the scary part yeah and, and i think you know there's the stretch you mentioned he had a, a couple of bad stretches or at least or not great stretches 
And I began thinking, like, especially he had the, the 13 points against Denver and then the 17 against Golden State, and they were kind of mediocre. It felt like he didn't have as much of an impact. Um, and I was mm-hmm. think, all right, he's beginning to hit a bit of a wall here. He's he's It's like teams are beginning to focus on him, like you said, double-teaming him or having him at the top of their uh, – like their scouting report, like stop this guy. Mm-hmm. You can think, all right, now he's going to fall back a little bit. And it's like, I can live with that because he's a rookie. But then he, once again, he just pops out Cleveland, 29 points. Like, okay, can anybody stop him? <laughs> and I, I remember I was, I think I was watching the highlights later. I didn't notice this, but the, the Cleveland announcer was like, you got to stop him from going to his right hand. You got to stop him from going to his right hand. But, it didn't matter. Donovan <laughs> just kept going. You can uh-huh. stop him from going to his right hand. Heck, I've seen him go to his left hand. At least he's he, driving with his left hand. He can't really finish with his left hand yet, which is... Yeah, I was just going to say, he, he finishes more with the right hand, but he, he does go left. Not a lot, but he does. Yeah, and, and it's something for him to work on. I mean, if we can go real nitpicky, I can pick out a lot of things that he needs to work on, that being one of the things, but... He's 21. We compare him to, like, Gordon Hayward. I can point out how Gordon Hayward is a very mechanical, very polished shooter. Mm. in the league for seven years. Yeah, but I think, I mean, that shot's kind of been there, but he hasn't been that effective until the last three years of this of his career. Yeah, and, and that's because he's had that time. He's, he's been able to become that. But Donald right. Mitchell is already shooting fairly well. He's got a he's got decent form on his jump shot. There's nothing broken about it, and he's shooting pretty well. He's shooting 35 percent from three for the season. That's including the rough stretch. I don't know, or no, that is that is December. It's 35 percent in December. So he, he's huh. already a threat inside and out, and it's just insane. Right. <laughs> I, the sky's the limit for him. I mean, it, the the scary thing is, like I said, that he's only going to get better, and he's already scary good. So the the future is definitely bright with Donovan Mitchell. But I did want to talk about um, the just the overall December schedule because you know Donovan Mitchell he's had his coming out party in December. We've talked about his his stats in December, like he's first among rookies in points and steals in December and fifth in assists. Um, but this is a stretch where the Jazz went 5-10, and ten, um, just an absolutely brutal December. They had an average point differential of minus 5.3, and it's minus 9 if you exclude the 47-point win against Washington. Jeez. Th- this was a, a bad month objectively. Now, subjectively, we're all still fairly excited. But just knowing this schedule, like we kind of began to look at the schedule in November, like middle of November, we were thinking, all right, December's going to be rough. You know, we were maybe projecting how many wins we were going to get out of the 15 games. How do you think that the Jazz did, considering how insane the schedule was? Um, Man, that's tough because... With all of the injuries, we didn't get Joe Johnson back until what last week. Um, we right, so we were we were without Joe Johnson. We we lost Rudy again. Um, we had Favors out for a little bit with the concussion protocol and the 
stitches was it six stitches in his eye raul neto mysteriously has a concussion i never knew he had one um i don't know i the the thing is the ones that stand out to me the most is we had a chicago team that okay sure they they had won three in a row to that point but you still shouldn't lose to that team uh milwaukee got their revenge that's that's fine. That's how it happens in the NBA. You get beat by a team like that, you're going to want to do the same thing to them on your home floor. But when I'm looking at this, I mean, we we played OKC one, two, I th- what was it, three times this month? Or was that going back into November? Um, look at this yeah, three times this month. Yeah, three times? And we lost all three of those games. Now, when I look at that, OKC, they've got great players. I'm a big fan of Steven Adams. Russell Westbrook is just ridiculous. Um, But then you throw uh, Carmelo Anthony and Paul George into that mix, and those guys are still trying to figure out who they are. How are we still – how did we lose three times to them in the same month? Um, But at the end of the day, we did fight hard. they, They did fight hard, but there was always that inconsistency. I mean, we were minus 18 against Houston. That's terrible. Houston's really, really good, but we the three-pointer, I think, is the biggest problem we have uh, on the defensive end is we can't get back out to that that uh, three-point line. Favors is, a great, is doing a great job at the five, but he is too damn slow at getting out to the three-point line to get anybody off of the line, and if they do, if he goes up to guard that guy on the three-point line, they have more speed than he does to get back and go into the paint. I think defensive issues have been a big thing. I mean, last year we were defensive monsters. Like, we were one of the best defensive teams in the NBA for you know, a number of reasons. You talk about pace, and but we were a good defensive team. And this mm-hmm. year that defense hasn't been there for whatever reason. Part of it probably does have to do with Rudy Gobert being out, and when he's been in, it's like like when he came back last time, he wasn't quite there. He didn't even really get a chance to warm up and really get into his groove. Before he went back down, yeah. yeah. So it, it's been really rough, and and I don't know, just I don't know what's what's wrong defensively. But I do think one of the things that's been interesting about this is how often we've seen different lineups, like with Rudy Gobert being out, and what we've seen when you mentioned Derek Favors playing the five. He's played very well there. And mm-hmm. playing at that five, that's when we rattled off the six-game win streak in, uh, in like the end of November and into first part of December, which included that 47-point obliteration of uh-huh. Washington and a bunch of other double-digit wins. And, and I think the three-point shot, our three-point shot, had a lot to do with that. Like We were shooting so much better. And the ball was moving incredibly well. Yeah, there were, I think we had, and I did the math, I think it was like four games in like, four out of six games we had 25 plus assists or something to that effect. It was some ridiculous amount of assists over a five or six game stretch where we were just, and and I remember especially like when that Washington game happened, they'd drive it in and then they'd kick it out, they'd break down the defense and they just keep repeating it where they'd be attacking, 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 and then they'd find the open man, they'd drain an open shot. And I think part of it was just we were really hot shooting, and it's one of those things that happens. But we were able to find open shots 
and I think that helped on the defensive end too because there's a lot less pressure put on the defense to perform because their offense was also working very well. Yeah, well, the offense was working really well, but I also think that – I mean, I'll get to it in a second, but when – Favors is on the court. He has way better hands than Rudy. I love Rudy to death, but he sucks at catching that ball. He sucks at holding on to it, and he sucks at catching it. But when he actually secures that ball, you know, good things usually happen. But because he is out of the lineup, it, it gives a it gives these guys a lot more freedom to move and space the floor. Whereas uh, Rudy, he, he's exclusive to the paint. I mean, no matter what, you're going to find him in the paint, whether it's on offense or defense. He's going to be there. And when Favors doesn't have him standing there in the way, and let, I mean, I even put the uh, my article up on hashtag basketball. You can find it there. Um, how I compare how good Favors is without Rudy on the floor. Um, I... It, things just run better when Rudy hasn't been on the floor. And when he went out, the all of a sudden the offense just kicked into high gear. Everyone was like, okay, well, this is how the offense needs to be ran. It looked like an old Sloan team on offense. Like just the ball was constantly moving. Like you said, it was going in, it was coming back out, it was going back in. Um, and But obviously the defense has suffered for that. But, I mean <sighs> – I also think that Joe maybe shouldn't be a starter. I think that maybe he should come off the bench a little bit more. But then you also have to put Rodney in the starting lineup, which I have a lot of gripes with him, but he does seem to be um, doing a better job with his role now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. Like The first game he got benched, he scored like 27 points, and apparently he just likes being on the bench more. But I, I, I do agree <laughs> Something. Yeah, I do agree a lot with just the, you know, how much better that the offense has gone when there's only, like, one big on the floor. It's been favors because Rudy Gobert's been out. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see what would happen if Rudy Gobert comes back in and he's at the five and we try and keep him and favors just off the floor together. Like, I don't really want to ever see Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors on the floor at the same time. I, which, I, is, which is weird saying that because they were on the floor a lot last year. Yeah, and the thing is, if you're looking at an objective starting lineup, like who's the best player at each position, then, yeah, Derek Favors is the best power forward. Or he's kind of shifted more to being a, a better center now because like, he can't quite play the modern NBA power forward. But he can he's the best power forward on the team objectively, and Rudy Gobert is the best center on the team objectively. Mm-hmm. But they don't fit together. They do right. fit the worst two-man lineups, or really the worst lineups at all. Like I've gone through and looked at all the – two or three or four man lineups and the worst ones almost all of them have both Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors really across the board so who who just out of curiosity who is second worst <laughs> I will I'd have to go look that up um let's see if I can find it really quick um I think Ricky Rubio is on some of the is uh found in some of the lower ones um let's see. oh yeah we could talk about Rudy or Ricky later because, man, I just – he's not good on the Jazz. No, he's not, <laughs> and I think it's – he's not good on the Jazz for a specific reason. He might be good on other teams. Yeah. But, yeah, no, you're right. They they can't be on the court together, and it sucks because 
you, I mean, on paper, those two should be just destroying front courts, you know, whether it's defensively or offensively. And the problem, the the biggest problem that uh, when they are on the court together is that, and I don't, I still don't know if if Quinn is doing that by design, but he made um, favors became a stretch four. Favors has never been a stretch four. He could shoot, uh, he could shoot a deeper two, but I mean, I even put that in the piece. The, the guy shot what uh, 10 threes all of last year, and he's already he took 15 by the time I posted this article. Like, there is no world in which Derek Favors is a stretch four. That's they need to stop doing that. When Rudy comes back, I really do hope that if they do share the court together, that you know they figure out how to give each other their space. They get, figure out how to give each other opportunities to score, or get rebounds, or get blocks or steals. You name it, because those two could be so great in the interior. And I, that's possible. That's really why we were so good last year. And it was a kind of a masking effect where a lot of the attention was put on Gordon Hayward. And that freed up uh, Rodney Hood to do a little bit more, who, side note, he sucked last year. Um, but Favors and Gobert seemed to, like, it almost seemed to work, but maybe that was because of that masking effect that Hayward was providing and the much slower pace, which this year, without Rudy on the court, I don't know what our pace is right now. Um, but man, we are so good in transition. We just can't finish those transition baskets. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a, <laughs> I don't want to say foreign concept, but like last year we had no transition game. We we're like last in transition points or close. Right. Yeah. Walked it up. <laughs> but this year uh, we have seen a lot more of the, of the transition. You'll see guys get out and running. Like Rick Rubio will push the ball up the floor quickly. Donovan Mitchell, when he's in at the point, he'll do the same thing. And and I've been wanting um, the Jazz to do that for a while, and I think with Rudy Gobert out, that's that's opened up a little bit because we're not playing the two bigs on the floor all the time. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And that's why I was so excited about Rudy get, uh, getting signed here. I was like, man, he's going to speed us up. He's going to be great dist- uh, distributor. That has not been the case. Yeah. Okay. He's sprinting up the court and getting things moving again, but. Man, I we can get to that. I keep I'm, I'm like trying to get it into the topic right now, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, basically, we were, we were trying to talk about December. Um, yeah, but but I think it has been a very revealing month. And that yeah, sure, we went five and ten, but we found out a little bit about this team, and I think it shows that we need to do something. Something needs to happen, and that we can't go back to. Like when Rudy Gobert comes back, and uh, there was some that came out, it was either Friday or Saturday, that Rudy is going to be out for at least another two weeks. He'll be like re reevaluated in two weeks. Mm. Mm. And I think the Jazz should take their dear sweet time. Like this, this is a time where you do take your time in bringing him back. There's no rush. Unless they think that we're going to get into the playoffs, which we're. Two and a half games out right now behind the Pelicans. And there's That's so weird. <laughs> there's one team ahead of us. I think it's the Clippers. Huh. I think. I could be I could very easily be wrong about that. There's... I never I never thought I would ever hear the Pelicans were in the playoff race. I <laughs> Yeah, so we're we are at 
10. The Clippers are half a game ahead of us, and the Pelicans are two and a half games ahead of us. But yeah, I could... Pelicans could very easily fall out. The Clippers, they got Blake Griffin back, I believe. But we just finished our worst stretch of the season, and we're two and a half games out. Mm. So it, it's a very realistic possibility that we can get to the playoffs, but I, I still think we shouldn't rush Rudy back because what is this season going to be in the grand scheme of things? It's, it's Donovan Mitchell's rookie year. Um, if we're trying to build a contending team, most of those pieces aren't even on the team yet. Mm-hmm. Rushing Rudy Gobert back, Rudy Gobert back, say that ten times. <laughs> rushing, rushing him back. Uh, is not something that they should be trying to do. And I don't think Rudy Gobert is injury prone. Um, His last two injuries have been because somebody hit him in the knee, which... Yeah, which the first one could arguably be... um, What's his bucket? Um, Waiters, was it? Yeah, Dion Waiters dove into him. Come on, man. You did. You had control of that ball. You just decided to take a dive into his knee. Don't even try to tell me you, that wasn't intentional. Yeah, that's the thing is that people say that uh, he didn't have any control of his body, and I just say bullcrap. You've never played sports. I've done uh, things like yeah. that, and I can control my body in that situation. And Absolutely. I'm Sixty pounds. I can still control all of that and not land on somebody's knee. <laughs> and Dion yeah. is an NBA athlete. Don't give me right. That. But yeah, like in the second one, it was Derek Favors rolled up on his knee. He's not injury prone by any stretch of the imagination. Right. I mean, maybe he like he might be more prone to knee injuries in the future just because that's how the body works. Mm-hmm. But it's not like Derek Favors where he's having chronic back problems or uh, George Hill's toe. <laughs> that was just stupid. <laughs> Although you mentioned Donovan. I think you mentioned Donovan Mitchell having the injury. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had a different injury. He had a great toe injury. It wasn't just a regular toe injury. Oh, uh, okay. Well, injury. either way, I'm I'm I am dubbing it the George Hill injury yeah, because. Yeah. But it was interesting because I'm pretty sure it was just the same injury. But on the injury report and everywhere I saw, they kept calling it a great toe injury. I just thought, what is great about that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> no, he was out for two games. But anyway, just don't rush Rudy Gobert back. But I, it will be very interesting to see what the Jazz try and do when he comes back. Because I think, you know, in, in our discussion, we determined they can't be on the floor together. But when they're both healthy and on, uh, on the roster, then the default thought is to start both of them. But we can't do that. Right. And, you know, I, I still think that yeah, we're not – uh, we're not coaches. We're not general managers. We don't understand certain things that these guys do. So my thing, my thing is, is I think that you know, Quinn Snyder, Dennis Lindsay, these guys see things that we as fans or as spectators or people in the media really truly understand quite yet. Is they, you know, I mean, Dennis Lindsay found Donovan Mitchell and made everything he, he did everything he possibly could to pick him up. You know, I didn't know who Donovan Mitchell really was because uh, it's just ridiculous to try and pay attention to the draft anyways. But, um, you know, and that's why I think that, you know, like you said, it's the default to start them. But I think that's really because Quinn Snyder sees something that we don't. And it's also he has trust in them, obviously. But 
is it one of those things where they just keep biding time and put them together and see if at some point it gels? Because I mean, we're we're, we're almost to the halfway point and we've got 22 home games left, 23 away games. At some point, it might finally click. But that's also wishful thinking the way that the season has gone to this point. So I don't really know. And with Rudy coming back, no matter what, the pace is going to slow back down again. Because let's face it, that dude's 7-1 and how many pounds trying to sprint down the court. It's not very easy for him. That's the thing is that Rudy, Go- Rudy Gobert is like above average at- in terms of athleticism and quickness for his center. But like you said, he's still seven foot one, 200-something-odd pounds. He's not LeBron James out there. He's not right. anywhere. So, and and you mentioned, like, you know, trusting Quinn Steiner, Dennis Lindsay, and, and I trust both of those guys. You know, they yeah. made enough moves. People criticize Dennis Lindsay for a lot of things. I don't know if there's really been a move that he's made that I've truly vehemently disagreed with. No, absolutely. You know, like the trade, like I, Dennis Cantor trade, I'm good with that. Like, yeah. You know, I don't know if... I don't know if this is Dennis Lindsay, but like letting Paul Millsap go and Al Jefferson go, I don't know if that was either the first of the things just before Dennis Lindsay was around. I've agreed with just about everything the Jazz have done, and so I, I trust them to do what's right for the Jazz and to build their system, but I do wonder, you know, like you said, maybe are they biding their time? Are they looking to try and move on from Derek Favors? Are they just waiting? Because um, like, I'm beginning to think maybe they might try and trade Derek Favors, which the notion of the Jazz trading Derek Favors hurts my soul. But right. It, I'm beginning to think, okay, this might have to happen because the fit isn't there and maybe it's going to happen. But for the fit to be there, Derek Favors essentially has to become a stretch four. And like you've said, he's not. Yeah, he's not. I, I mean, he is, that, he is your traditional power forward where he is – dominant inside he can hit the outside shot but don't 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 ever shoot a three ever again <laughs> yeah, it's just like yeah he can hit the 15 maybe 20 foot jumper but yeah and you know with consistency but that's also when he's got his inside baskets i mean i was always taught and i'm not a professional athlete but i played at basketball my entire life and all my coaches always tell me you go inside you get your rhythm going, and then you go outside. The shots start falling. It's just that's just the way it works. Yeah, and so that's that's just the way it's been. Derek Favors can maybe hit the outside shot, but he can't stretch the floor. So no, we're saying that Ennis Cantor might be able to come become either stretch four or stretch five. And whatever he can hit an outside, he can hit an outside two point shot, but he can never stretch the floor either. No, well, and he can't play defense either, but... Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole other issue entirely. And he's already switched teams a couple of times. Yeah. But, um, so, we'll, we'll go ahead and move on. You've been chomping at the bit to talk about Ricky Rubio, so... <laughs> let's, uh, and, and I've got a few things to say. Uh, you might have the same thing to say, but uh, let's, let's talk about how Ricky Rubio has done. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm just going to start this by saying I don't have this. I don't have his stats in front of me um, because it honestly it's just going to make me even more angry. Beginning of the year, 
you know, before the Gordon Hayward trade happened, we got Ricky Rubio. I was like, sweet. That is going to be awesome. He's going to speed us up. He's going to make us better at ball movement. It's going to become contagious. It has not been the case. He is awful in a Jazz uniform. He has had a few good games. I'll give him that. But when I look at this, I mean, okay, his points are a little bit more than they ever were in Minnesota. 11.4, his highest output in um, Minnesota was 11.1. That's also by design for Quinn Snyder. He wants him to shoot more. I get that. The dude sucks at shooting. He is 39% this year. That is awful. I like it when he takes the out the the mid-range jump shots, but oh my gosh, every time he takes that three-point shoot that three-point shot, I just yell. I'm like, why? Why are you doing that? Because what is it? Uh 28% this year. His worst was 2014, 2015 in Minnesota. And his turnovers have gone up significantly. I mean, he's had a few games this year where he's up like six, seven turnovers a game. Um, but he's at three right now. But I don't know, like a, a player of his caliber, a point guard of his caliber, he should be able to come in, especially the years that he's put into this, this uh, the NBA, he should be able to come in and do what he does best, pass the ball. He has made a lot of stupid passes. Passes that are getting picked off with relative ease, or he just didn't see the guy coming from the backside or from inside the paint to steal the ball. Uh, you name it. He has not been anything that he has been in Minnesota. Like I said, he has, he he was never a great scorer, so I hate that he is trying to become a scorer. I hate that they are trying to mold him into a scorer. That is not who he is. We have Donovan Mitchell to do that. We have Rodney Hood to do that. We have Derek Favors to do that. I'll go down the list. Ricky Rubio is not our scorer. He shouldn't even be the fifth option. I don't care if there's only five players on the court. He should be the facilitator. And that is what my biggest gripe is with him. Yeah, I think when I when I look at the situation, I just think, and I don't know where this is coming from, either from Ricky Rubio or Quinn Snyder or who else, Ricky Rubio is essentially playing George Hill's role. That yeah, okay, yeah, in, yeah, in a way. And yeah, and like I said, he's shooting all those shots, and he's not facilitating as much. And when you look at it, in Minnesota, he during I was looking at NBA like um, NBA.com like the seconds per touch stats, and in Minnesota like they've only done it for like three or four years, but he was averaging like five and a half seconds per touch. So he's that hold the ball for a minute, analyze defense, maybe do a little bit of pick and roll or some screens and whatnot, and then mm-hmm. find the man, get the assist. He was averaging around like nine assists or so. I think uh, in Minnesota he averaged like 8.5 assists per game his whole time there. And in Utah he's averaging 4.9. He's cut his assist total nearly in half. Right. And a lot of that, I believe, has to do with the, the offense – of Quinn Snyder, like George Hill averaged like 4.9 assists last year. I think. Yeah, but George Hill was also never – he was never known for his passing. He was your combo guard where he can pass, but he can shoot better than he can pass. Yeah, and, and that's what I think it is, is that in Quinn Snyder's offense, it worked pretty well because he didn't have to be a good facilitator. 
Right. The offense tends to be like we have multiple facilitators. We had Gordon Hayward. Uh, Joe Ingles was coming off the bench. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, even you know, well, Alec Burks didn't really play a whole lot last year. But we had guys who could facilitate. And so George Hill didn't have to do that. And so he was, he was able to be a scorer. Well, Ricky Rubio is trying to basically do that where he's not being a facilitator and he's trying to be a scorer. Mm-hmm. When he's taking more shots, like per 36 minutes, he's taking he's taking the most shots per 36 minutes ever in his career. Uh, it's 12.4 per 36 this year. His highest was back in 2014-15. It was 11.4. And he's having one of his... He, like he's shooting 39% overall. He's having one of his worst years from three-point range, and he's taking more shots from three-point range. He never shot more than three three-pointers a game per 36 minutes. Yeah. He's taking 4.4 three-point shots per 36 minutes. He has dramatically increased his shot taking, and he's changed where he takes those shots from. He's taking a bunch of those mid-range shots. He's taking, I always said, more three-pointers, and he's taking fewer shots inside the restricted area. So he's he's basically, and like I said, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know if it's coming from Ricky Rubio, like he's trying to change, or if it's from Quinn Snyder trying to make Rubio change. The bottom line is, he's a different player, and it's not who he was in Minnesota, and this version of Ricky Rubio is not very good. It's not very good, and I also like. Is it something that we that they stick with because we have him until next the end of next season? Is this something that is just we need to bide time and see where this goes, and if it stays the same by the end of next year, we just let him go and get someone else. I mean, because at this point, you know, our, if if the if the offense is designed to make everyone a facilitator and everyone their equal chance to score then at what point do we say, okay, we need to do something different at the point guard spot? I've, you know, I've even teased the idea of bringing Rubio off the bench and starting Mitchell. Start starting Mitchell at the point and having, like, Rodney at the two? Yeah, or, you know, even... Um, or even Burks, maybe? Yeah, Burks. Burks hasn't been a starter for a while, and that, and he was really good when he uh, the early uh, start of the, of December, um, but he's kind of tapered off a little bit. But I think I think you know if we put Donovan in at the one, him in at the two, put Rodney in at the small forward. Rodney's big enough, and then maybe that will force him to go inside a little bit more. Rodney is so good when he goes to the paint. He's he's done really well. I've, I have noticed that. But yeah, I. It, this, it's kind of like the same thing with Derek Favors. Like I, I mentioned that we have to change something. We have to look at the front court. But, yeah, Ricky Rubio, I – Ricky Rubio is, what, 27? He's 26 going on 27, or he's already 27. He's not really going to change who he is. He's always going mm. to be, you know, gets the assists, gets the points. He's never – well, the 10 points. <laughs> he's not going to be a good shooter. He's kind of like Rajon Rondo. He's in that kind of mold. Um, mm. A little less length and a little less defense. Um, and and a lot less uh, temper. Yeah. He, <laughs> like on offense, his stats are comparable to Rajon Rondo. That's probably the only thing I can compare him to. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, he's not really going to change who he is. 
So I yeah. do think the Jazz need to go somewhere else at the point guard spot unless something changes drastically. I mean, early in the season, Ricky Rubio was shooting well, and it was freaking everybody out because he was a different player and he was doing good. Right. He scored, what, 33 points on, I think, the fourth or fifth game of the year. Yeah, and, and he was shooting in the mid-30s from three and mid-40s overall, I think. And Yeah, but then he regressed to the mean. He became who he really is. Uh-huh. Um, so you can't really rely on those in, on that little stretch and say, well, he's really that, but not what he's been the rest of his life. So right. I think that, and this is what depresses me about Dante Exum, is that this is the point where I'd start calling for Dante Exum to be starting. Like you mentioned maybe starting Mitchell. I'd be like, well, with Don, with uh, Dante Exum, it's like we'll start him and we'll have Mitchell the two and whatnot. But that's not an option, obviously. Right. So it's it's really hard because we don't have any options the rest of this year unless we do want to do something drastic with you know, moving Mitchell to the point. But is, you know, like if we have him to the end of next year, which I think you're right on that, um, you might just there's, – there's not really going to be a market to trade him, and nobody's really going to want him. That's true. Well, I'm sorry to uh, – I always tease the idea of even starting Raul Neto, man. Raul Neto's he doesn't get enough credit for, one, what he does – as a facilitator, but two, he can score. I mean, the game in Orlando, he was plus 44. He only took five shots, but dude was plus 44. He had seven uh, seven assists, nine points for the whole game, but you're plus 44. Um, he's had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six total games where he has been under. Every other game, he has been in the positive, at le- at, by 10 at least. Yeah, I he did have, I believe it was the year we kind of started giving up on Trey Burke, where he started like half the season. I, want mm. to say, I think. I, I don't have his stats in front of me, but he's he's seen a fair amount of starting time. Yeah, he has, and he's so, and you know, I, I, like, I don't have it in front of me either, but I mean... The guy is just consistent, and he and he kind of reminds me a lot of um, who just got fired from Phoenix. Oh my God, I'm losing my Jazz card right now. Earl Watson. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Earl Watson. He's just he's kind of like that bulldog mentality. He doesn't take no crap for anybody, and just goes out and plays. Yeah, so it, that is a possibility. I don't think it's going to happen because it's just. We're just going to keep plugging away with Ricky Rubio, and I think we do need to give him some time, at least give him a full season. Let him see if he can figure this out. Yeah, yeah. No, he's not going anywhere this year. But we'll see. I mean, this next summer, the Jazz might be looking to make some moves. I believe Derek Favors' contract runs out. Um, We'll see if they try and make a move with him, either re-signing him, trying to trade him, whatever they try to do. I mean, they might try and move Ricky Rubio. Because, I mean, the re- they're kind of doing another partial rebuild where now they're building around Mitchell and Gobert. And if they decide to re-sign Dante Exum, because I believe his contract runs out too, if they try and give him another chance, 
they might be building around him as a point guard. I don't know. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Ricky Rubio and Derek Favors this off season, because in one way or another there have been problems. You know, problems have been exposed. You know, from something involving either Derek Favors or Ricky Rubio. Yeah, absolutely. It'll it'll be interesting, but. Um, we can't think too far ahead right now. <laughs> we got we to think of the here and now. We got to. Uh, yeah, yeah. In January in, in January the first part is. The first part is going to be rough anyway because we're playing, I think. I think five of our first seven games are on the road. They're yeah, not, we've they're not, got. They're not nearly as hard, but they're still there. Yeah. Oh, and we'll be seeing. Uh, George Hill, January 17th uh, in Sacramento. Dude, so there you go. George Hill, I just have to laugh. It's like, you decided not to play in Utah because you wanted to go after a max contract. And he just... He and look o- over. Yeah, yeah. Market. Well, what kills me is the Sacramento told him, we're going to compete. Like, okay... Sacramento has not been a threat for a long time. Like, come on. And they had his Cousins for a lot of that time. Yeah. Like, is George Hill the best player on that team? Like, I don't even know who's on that team. They have Zach. Uh, they, yeah, they got Randolph. <laughs> Buddy Heald. It's like the only, the only return. Oh, do they have Vince Carter, too? I think so, yeah. <laughs> the ageless Vince Carter. Oh, man, when is he going to retire? <laughs> Oh, the Kings are playing right now. <laughs> They're probably losing. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, Zach Randolph is <laughs> the leading scorer at 15.4 points per game. But, <laughs> yeah. um, <sighs> but although speaking of George Hill, one random stat that I happened to run across or figure out. Uh, so Donovan Mitchell has 15 20-point games this year. George Hill had 16 last year for the Jazz. Really? And Donovan's played like half the games. Like George Hill played like 41, 42 games. Mitchell's played like 23. Huh. And he's already about to surpass George Hill for 20-point games in a season for the Jazz at least. Wow, that's crazy. Well, and he's also uh, 15 puts him uh, three behind Carl Malone for his rookie year. Oh, yeah. And then Daryl Griffith was... 50. 50, yeah, like a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know I don't know if he'll come close to that. I mean, he might. I don't know. With the season, is, I mean, it's crazy to think that this season still has so much more to go. Yeah. 50's around close, I imagine. I mean, I've not counted. I'm not going to. Uh, 50's probably somewhere around the amount of 20-point games Gordon Hayward had last year. I mean, he probably had a little closer to 60, but... Yeah, yeah. He averaged like 21 last year. Wow. So, All right, well, that's about all we got. We're getting a little long here, but thank you so much for listening. Again, I am Jason Walker. And I am Trey. And thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs>